Welcome to the Community of Faith podcast, where you will hear the exposition of God's Word taught by Rev. Patrick Parham, pastor of Faith Community Fellowship in Bristol, Tennessee. If you are in the Bristol area and would like to visit, please join us for Sunday morning worship beginning at 10 a.m. If you're not able to join us in person, join us online. Visit our website, faith-cf.org. That's faith-cf.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. That's all one word, Faith Community Fellowship Bristol. Here at Faith Community Fellowship, our goal is to ensure that what we do is edifying to our Heavenly Father, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Let's join Pastor Pat as he brings us God's Word. We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians today. We're up to chapter 3 in this book, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to attempt to do the first 11 verses of this chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 will be our reading. Follow along with me, please. It says in the Word of God, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For what if passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of looking into your word. I ask that you would protect me from sin that lies within my members. Use me as a vessel to proclaim your word to your people, that we together could worship you in the beauty of your holiness. For you are worthy of our worship, And we desire to know more about you as you are revealed in your word. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. I'm going to do just a little bit of review before we get into the message because it's been a few weeks since we were in this book. 
Paul has been dealing with many thoughts in the previous verses prior to chapter 3. You see, 2 Corinthians isn't like many of Paul's epistles. Most of his epistles, he began with his greeting, and then he would teach some doctrine, and then he would apply it. But 2 Corinthians isn't quite like that. If you want to understand how Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians, just think of somebody that you have known for years and years, and you're comfortable around them. Maybe a relative, maybe a friend. And you haven't seen them for a while, and you come in and you have a conversation with them. And your thoughts are just bouncing around everywhere. And you go over some things that happened to be in the past, some that's in the present, and some ideas you have for the future. But overall, when the conversation is over, you've got your main point across. That's the way Paul is in his book. He begins talking to these Corinthians just like what they were to him, which are friends, people that he had known, people that he had talked with and ministered to and led to the Lord. And, and he just opens up his heart and he's just kind of rambling around and he'll come back to things. And That's kind of the way he is in this letter. But he has addressed many issues, some which he had already talked about in the first epistle to the Corinthians. But he does begin in the normal way. He has his greetings. He spoke of tremendous suffering that he had encountered and how God uses suffering in the lives of Christians to prepare us to help others when they're going through things. But there was another issue at Corinth that we keep alluding to. There were some false teachers there and they were Paul's enemies and they seized on any opportunity they could to try to belittle him and his message. And of course, Paul had changed his travel plans. And so his enemies seized on such a little old triviality as that. He didn't come exactly when he said he was. And they began to attack him about that, but they didn't stop with that. They went on and attacked his message, which was the gospel, and Paul couldn't have that. So he goes on and talks about that for a while, and then he returns in chapter 2 to the topic of the man that was living in incest and how the church had handled that in according with his directions and everything was straightened out. And he said, now go ahead and forgive the man, let him back into church, and lest Satan should take advantage of us, we're not ignorant of his devices. But as you come down to the end of chapter 2, in verses 12 and 13 14, he talks about God always leads us to triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the knowledge of Him in every place. And so now as we come to chapter 3, Paul goes back to his ministry. He talks about his sufficiency in the ministry. Where does the ability to minister in the name of Jesus in Paul's life originate? Where does it come from? We all know he was a great missionary, a great apostle, but why? How did he accomplish these things? That's what he talks about here. And woven into these verses, and he's going to develop them more in parts that we won't even get to today. Woven into these verses is another topic that he continually begins to talk about for a little while, and that is he's comparing the Old Covenant 
Think of the old covenant as the Mosaic covenant of the law. The Mosaic covenant given at Mount Sinai. He's comparing that with the new covenant, which he calls the covenant of the Spirit. The new covenant, the covenant of the Spirit. And so I want to look at these first 11 verses. He said, do I have to go back and write a letter of commendation to you? Or do I need to call some of the other apostles to my aid and have them write a letter of commendation to you as, as other people do? He said, I guess I remember he had enemies there in Corinth and they obviously had accused him of commending himself, although Paul never does that. You can't find that in his writings. He said, do we need that kind of thing? After all, aren't you the epistle written in our hearts? He said, maybe other people need men's approval, but I don't need that because my commendation comes from God who put me into the ministry because He counted me faithful. He said, the very fact that a church exists in the city of Corinth and the very fact that you are my Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord and we are corresponding is an epistle. It's proof of who I am and what I do. You are my epistle written in the hearts and you're known and read by all men. As I've said before, when Paul came to the city of Corinth, there wasn't any gospel church there. It was a pagan city through and through. Temple worship all around it. All kind of pagan gods. All kind of immorality going on. And Paul came in. He preached the gospel. And some of those people who had been involved in all those ungodly lifestyles were saved. And their lives changed. They were different people. And they began to quit living that way. And they had a new reason in life. They wanted to bring glory to God. They had a new purpose. They wanted to testify and see others saved. They wanted to build up the church and disciple new believers. He said, all of these things, that's my epistle. Over in the 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 2, he said, even if others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. He said, you're, you're manifestly, it's shown to everybody that way. And it's not written with ink, not written by man. It's not a letter of commendation coming from another individual. It's written by the Spirit of the living God on the tablets of flesh. By the Spirit of God who regenerates us through the channel of the Word of God, grants us the gifts of faith and repentance. He enables us to receive the message of the Gospel. Jesus is the source of life and His life was obvious in these believers. When He talks about tablets of flesh, of the heart, as may remind you of Ezekiel 36 and 26, where the prophet wrote, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What Paul is saying is the Corinthians' conversion 
just like every conversion of all time was a work of God. It was a divine work made possible by the Father's love, purchased by the Son's death on the cross, applied by the power of the Spirit, and that Spirit now lived in their souls as He does in ours. That isn't an outward work such as the giving of the law. It is an inward work of the Spirit in every respect. And as such, Paul said, I have such trust through Christ toward God. There is the source of Paul's strength. In himself, Paul was no different than any other human being. He had weaknesses just like we do. But as a servant of Jesus, he was a strong and faithful witness to the gospel. He had learned to let God work through him. Later on in this same book, he's going to write, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's trust was that if he served Jesus in the power of the Spirit according to the call of the Father, his work would be blessed. And it says, you Corinthians are proof of that method. He said, my sufficiency isn't in myself. Not in any way. He said, I don't think of anything as coming from myself. He couldn't save anybody. But he was faithful to the message and he faithfully preached and God did use him in his service. He knew if he were faithful in preaching the message, God would use him as a messenger. It would be God working through him. And he states in verse 5, the latter part, our sufficiency is of God. His confidence was in God who made him ministers of the new covenant. You remember Paul was called on the road to Damascus. Then Jesus taught him three years in the desert, preparing him for the ministry. In Galatians, Paul wrote about these things. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, it's not of the letter because the letter kills. Now what is he talking about there? How can the Mosaic Covenant, the law, kill? It kills in the sense that it awakens us to our duty, but it's powerless to enable us to accomplish it. That's what he's talking about. The law shows us how to live, but it cannot enable us to accomplish that. Paul speaks to this in great detail in Romans 7. I'll just pick out one verse. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. But he says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life because the Spirit testifies to the life in the person of Jesus. In Romans 8, the Scripture says, what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. We know that Jesus satisfied the law's demands for anybody who will believe in Him. Anyone who places their faith solely in His finished work on the cross. That's clearly brought out many places in the Bible. 
But what about this Romans 10? What does it say? The word is near you even in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith which we preach. If you confess with your mouth and the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What Paul is saying in these verses is changed lives are living testimonies to the power of the gospel. Living testimony. Many books have been written, but it's only the Word of God that has the power to unite us to the Savior. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, he talks about the letter killing, but that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the law. In that same Romans 7, he says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. But you see, the law was never given to bring life. It was given to show us the need of life. When you go down to the doctor's office and you've got a pain inside and you can't figure out what in the world is going on, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're not going to cut you open and look. They're going to get an x-ray. The x-ray will show them what's wrong, but it doesn't fix anything. They will schedule you for a surgery. That's what the law does. It shows us what is wrong. It shows us how to live, but then we need the surgery performed by Jesus. The Spirit gives life. As the gospel is proclaimed and believed, the life-giving Spirit takes up residence in us who we believe the message and repent of sin and receive that payment. And then in Romans, Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes that you first also for the Greek. And then he goes on, he starts developing this idea by comparing the letter, the Mosaic Covenant, with the ministry of the Spirit. Now that's going to go on through the end of the chapter, but we're not going to go that far today. And he has some considerations here in verse 7. He asks a question. If the ministry of death, and that was the one written on the tablets of stone on Mount Sinai, was glorious, and he gives the example that when Moses came down from the mountain, you remember he didn't know that his face was shining because he'd been in the presence of God, but it was. And so he developed a habit of every time he was in the presence of God, he would put a veil over his face so the people wouldn't see that that glory was temporary and it was fading away. That's what he's talking about. Now the glory wasn't in Moses. The glory was in God as expressed through the law. But he gives that example. The glory which was passing away. He said, if that was glorious, verse 8, how will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? Glorious. Now, how was the law glorious? Well, it was glorious in the fact that it was God's revealed will to man. He, as an act of love, God, as an act of love, wrote down in the Mosaic Covenant the requirements for eternal life, fully knowing we couldn't do it. But He told us what is expected. He told us so that we would know we are lost. And consequently, we would know to seek a Savior. And then another way that the law was glorious is this in and of itself. It's a wonderful guide to life in this world. 
The law, if applied in individual lives or in the life of society, will bring order out of chaos. It'll bring freedom to enjoy life in this world. It'll restrain evil and evil men in their plans to disrupt and destroy. It is what James refers to as the perfect law of liberty. But he said, if that was glorious, how will not the ministry of the Spirit be much more glorious? And he has another consideration in verse 9 here. Verse 8 and 9. He's simply comparing if the ministry of condemnation was glorious, and he said, if it was, then it was, well then how much more will the ministry of righteousness? If the revelation of God's standard was glorious, let's put it this way, then how much more glorious is the revelation of the one that perfectly kept that standard in every detail for our benefit? How much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit whose very job is to bring us to Jesus? The law, as it were, talked about in Galatians, takes us by the hand. It takes us by the hand and it leads us to the one who satisfies its demands. It's glorious in that respect, but then the Spirit takes over, regenerates us, and enables us to receive that wonderful payment for ourselves. The old covenant was and is necessary. It shows us our need of life, but the new covenant grants us the life we need in Jesus. It grants us the righteousness we need to stand before God, gives us a desire to become holy, which in effect is applying the principles of the law in our personal lives. Not out of fear anymore, but out of love. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So he, he makes those comparisons and considerations, and then he has some conclusions that we want to talk about here for just a moment. He said, if the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory, It excels that glory. It excels that glory in every respect. Verse 10. The law makes us understand and feel condemnation. But the Spirit grants us the righteousness of Christ and frees us from condemnation. Romans 8 and verse 1. The gospel is the means through which the demands of the law are met. The gospel applied is nothing less than the person and work of Jesus being appropriated in individual lives. He said, if what is passing away, verse 11, was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. What remains is much more glorious. Now, let me conclude these thoughts. Going back to Paul's sufficiency in Christ. If you or I want to be a faithful and productive servant in the kingdom, then if we want to be truly used and truly ministered to sinners, then it will only be when we recognize and gladly acknowledge that the power is of God. It's not of us. Our sufficiency is in Him. You remember how the Lord put it over in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing. And then when we speak of the ministry and the glory of the Spirit, 
outshining the glory of the ministry of the law. Well, let me, let me try to paint it to you this way. If you're outside on a very sunshiny day, beautiful day, that sun is so overshadowing the moon that even if you happen to see a little bit of it over there, and I have from time to time, you don't even consider it. You're looking and enjoying the sun. The moon might be there, but it's not important. It's not important at all. The glory of the sun is so much more. And the glory of the Spirit so overshadows the glory of the law that it really is if it has no glory at all. Think about the Old Testament Israelites when they were in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness and they had their individual tribes set up and in the center of their camp was the tabernacle. Over that tabernacle, if an Israelite, no matter where he was in that camp or she was, wanted to know, is God really among us? All they had to do was look at the center of the camp and look over that tabernacle. And in the daytime, there was a cloud there. And in the nighttime, there was a pillar of fire reminding them, external reminder that God was with them. He was in the midst of the camp. But you see, in the ministry of the Spirit, God isn't out there. He's in here. He actually dwells within us. He tabernacles within every believer. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. Now I ask you, does not the internal dwelling of the Spirit within us so far exceed the external manifestation of the cloud that it's as if the old ministry had no glory at all? And the third, according to verse 11, the ministry of the letter is temporary. But the ministry of the Spirit remains. You see, the Gospel is and always will be the only way to know God in a saving way. Our Lord did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through Me. So our sufficiency, just like Paul, is from God. The Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit gives life and all the glory goes to God. Let's pray. Lord, how wonderful it is to be in the ministry of the Spirit. To have You actually dwelling within us as the down payment on the purchased possession. Help us, Lord, to live in such a way that we are pointing others to You that we are seeking to bring glory to You and help us to live in ways that show others that the Gospel is a reality in our lives. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Pat, for another wonderful message from God's Word. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Pastor Pat's message. If this has been a blessing to you, please like and follow this podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to support this ministry and the other ministry opportunities at Faith Community Fellowship, please visit our website, faith-cf.org support. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Community of Faith.